Smart Council is a joint production of Multnomah University, Alternative Behavioral Therapy, and New Pattern Counseling. Joshua Moore is a counselor at Alternative Behavioral Therapy in Vancouver, Washington, who specializes in neurofeedback and trauma. Reese Pasimio is a counselor at New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon, who specializes in addictions, sexuality, gender, and spirituality. Thanks for listening and for joining the conversation. Welcome to Smart Council, Toxic Masculinity and Addiction. Smart Council provides perspectives and resources for providers and students on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Reese Basimio. I'm Joshua Moore. And we are here with special guest Ben Poling. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. I'm glad you could be here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. So here we are getting ready to talk about men and their feelings and probably sex and drugs because <laughs> that's what we do. But on a tangent, completely unrelated tangent, since we're all catching up with each other, what is everybody reading these days, whether or not it has anything to do with the Ooh, clinic? My brain is fried. I just got back from a mild pressure hyperbaric oxygen course, like in California. It was exhausting. I got to hang out with all the leading experts in some of the more advanced fields like stem cell research. I now understand stem cell research. You I'm have the coolest I'm conference. I'm so exhausted. <laughs> I know, but you have I, the coolest conference well, we do. When the conference book was was like, oh my gosh, it was it was quite literally like um, so big you couldn't pick it up with one hand. Like a Russian novel. Yeah, it was it was like the binder was was as much as you could fit your entire hand around the binding. Hmm. So it was like a couple, you know, must have been four or five, six hundred pages, and that was what we went through in three days. Oh like, my goodness, like, wow. <laughs> it was exhausting. That's and I'm like, you from made a fire a hose. No, sorry, I'm, so I am exhausted. Just so everyone knows. Okay, so <laughs> but it was brilliant to see what kind of new helpful therapies are going to exist, and we're working towards getting a doctor to work in our clinic so we can theoretically provide some of these treatments, you know, and work in the conjunction and mental space of mental health treatment efficacies for or treatment for PTSD, things like that. Uh, depression, you know, it turns out you can treat depression by, you know, <laughs> doing mild pressure, hyperbaric oxygen, some cool stuff. Ah, so, uh, so essentially breathing like extra, extra fancy breathing, extra fancy <laughs> breathing. You're actually increasing the pressure and you're pushing oxygen into the plasma platelets, which gets the plasma oxygen perfused into deeper parts of the brain which does really really good work for depression does really good work i would say depression is the new research but more lyme disease it it can beat that into remission and then traumatic brain injury it can really really help uh, recover some tissue that's struggling so there's like around the damaged part of the brain there's something called a penumbra which is basically tissue that's struggling but not dead and it can revitalize and strengthen and give you back that penumbra which can give you a large amount of function back Wow. So, you know, applying a TBI, which is something I work with in counseling and neurofeedback, it becomes a beautiful medical intervention yeah. to stabilize the patient and give them a lot more back. And it can work decades after. So, I mean, that, that, that penumbra is still in play decades after the injury. Very exciting stuff. That's super no, exciting. No, I don't have the treatment. No, I can't do it. But I loved the research, loved the conference. Give me a couple of years. I'll, I'll have it down. Okay. Give you a couple of years to <laughs> review the book. Yeah, I, I have cool. a, there's already a doctor who's agreed to, to come work for us. So, I don't know if we're like weeks away or years away from you know, actually doing it. It's cool okay. stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you. Uh, how about you, Ben? What are, what is something you're reading or something you're learning or thinking about lately? Yeah. So kind of coming out of reading a bunch of stuff about sexual addiction and next things on my list are basically either something about the Enneagram because I have like a million clients wanting to talk about that and it'd be helpful to know a bit more or I have wanting to 
to learn a little bit more about how to help um, clients that ha that are on the spectrum. So looking at a couple books to possibly read about that. That's exciting. I have picked up The Happiness Trap, finally. I've been wanting to read that ever since I took the ACT course at Daystar Academy like three years ago. And funny story, so I, I checked it out of the library because, wouldn't you know it, the Multnomah County Library has some really cool clinical books too. But I picked up the, the illustrated version just because I was like, hey, how, how illustrated is this? Turns out it's a little bit more like a like a graphic novel, which is kind of fun. <laughs> it makes me feel like like the credibility is just slightly lower because I'm not <laughs> reading as many words, but it's also really good. And I just I love the ACT concepts anyway, mm -hmm. so it's good for my tired brain to read a clinical graphic novel. It's good. The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. It's very good. Very good. I have to check that out. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I like ACT as a counterpart to CBT, where CBT will often look for what's the relationship between thoughts, behaviors, and feelings, and what are the underlying beliefs driving it all and challenging those and for, you know, exchanging core beliefs that are not based in reality for core beliefs that are more based in reality. Mm -hmm. and, and there's that. There's a lot of talk using EMDR when you know, those, those kinds of concepts. It sounds familiar. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas a ACT will again recognize, hey, there's troubling thoughts and emotions and troubling beliefs, but skipping the argument altogether and just changing your relationship to the thoughts and, you know, not engaging in a argument with the negative thoughts but rather turning your energy toward your goals and your values and the things that are most important to you anyway mm -hmm. essentially if i'm understanding the concepts right it's a little new but it, it seems to make more sense I like it. anyway back to our men and feelings so ben thanks again for for coming and joining us it's a pleasure yeah do you tell a little bit now that we know what you're learning about um a little bit about who you are what's your corner of the counseling world mm -hmm. what do you do Yes, so uh, I work at a New Day Counseling Center at 57th and Madison and see mostly male individual clients and some groups and specializing, working on specializing in sexual addiction. See a lot of guys with pornography and other sexual addictions. And it's something I'm passionate about helping people out with. Also, like uh, I have a blog uh, on my website, benpollingcounseling.com where I talk primarily about masculinity issues and things that are uh, interest me around that. And the website for our practice is uh, anewdaycounseling.org. So you can find me in either of those places. Sounds good. I think if we remember right, like the first time like we ever communicated was actually over there too. Yes. I think I was right, looking you, for it. You guys were telling me that you met at the training conference in Colorado? We officially did. I think mm. I had actually emailed the New Day saying, hey, I need a job. But when I was yeah. kind of scared about not making money <laughs> and i think it was actually ben that replied yeah, yeah there was it was the, in the interesting thing was like i before we met in colorado like i'd seen i'd seen reese's name like all over the place because we're on like a facebook oh, group yeah, yeah. together and and then yeah he he actually i think you called a new day and i i was the one that answered the phone and and he was looking for a job so i connected him with our assistant director but yeah it was like all, all these little things and then we met met each other in colorado and it was right. like kind of just blew, blew my mind a little right. bit and that was fun too because so we were both there for the the csap module one training through mm -hmm. through uh, through itap and you know it's this you know it's this international institute you know pretty intensive I, training, right yeah. and so there's there's you know people from singapore from sweden from canada from every corner of the u.s and mm -hmm. so you know of course i sit next to the one other guy from portland yes <laughs> we were the only two people from right? like the west coast i feel like even like there were people from like idaho i think I think there might have been a couple of Southern California people. Maybe that's... But I think yeah. we, we were the Pacific Northwest crew. Yeah. Whoa. It was, yeah. It was kind of crazy. It was, With it was 65 fun. people in that room, right. it was a little... Wow. Yeah. yeah. All that to say, I'm glad we met. And that was quite 
providential Mm -hmm. and so now here we are on the podcast and you had actually pitched this topic to us a little bit wanting to talk about uh, toxic masculinity especially in relation to recovery and addictions yes Um, we've hit on this topic of toxic masculinity in bits and pieces before but Mm -hmm. the connection to recovery i know it's one that i'm excited about because Mm -hmm. i think I've been thinking about it as well to introduce the topic. Yeah, uh, so I think this is a, an area that's not talked about a whole lot in regards to recovery and addiction and, and how our, our cultural concepts of masculinity actually can contribute to addiction and, and particularly men becoming addicted to, to anything and really, but especially sex drugs, alcohol, because what, what happens is our culture tells men in particular that they're not supposed to feel Uh, experience emotions express emotions and as a result they have to find another way to deal with those and sex drugs pornography alcohol those are very effective ways of suppressing our emotions numbing ourselves out so we don't have to deal with them so yeah and this is a good chance to maybe define toxic masculinity which is always worth doing i think at the beginning of lecture whether we've talked about it before for sure that uh, i'm hearing you say that men get these messages from society that they feel like they have to follow they have Mm -hmm. these cognitions in their head or there's insecurities or or these feelings that that maybe aren't validated or mm-hmm. they don't feel like will be validated and so they stifle suppress try to resolve try to avoid and that leads towards inappropriate coping skills like drugs and alcohol sex pornography etc right and that you're saying there's a spectrum of experience that may be created by maybe a culturally toxic male attitude about males right okay yeah yep. okay yeah and it so it's it, it's a very interesting area i've done a, a bit of research you know be because there's always the question of, I think, do men experience emotions less than women? Because certainly in our culture, that's that's the stereotype, and that I think everyone knows that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a well known stereotype, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't have to go far as far as looking, you know, as watching media to to figure out that that, that that's the cultural stereotype for men. All the you know heroes and protagonists and things in movies and you know, tend to be stoic men. The the weaker men that you see in uh, in media tend to be more emotional. Yeah. What would you say are, so, so I know emotions is a big theme, but what are some of the other frequent tenets of toxic masculinity that, that show up? Womanizing. Let's see here. There's a lot, <laughs> but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I feel like what's it called? Like a lack of emotional intelligence. It's kind mm-hmm. of the polite way we say, you know, sure. emotional, emotional numbness. Mm-hmm. Or you referenced alexithymia mm-hmm. as a what is that? As a thing. So yeah, alexithymia is a technical term for inability to to label mm-hmm. and express emotions. Oh, okay. Um, and actually, some researchers it's have kind of an autistic like trait almost. <laughs> sure. Yeah, but actually, yeah. some researchers have have estimated that up to. 80% of men yeah. suffer from some degree of alexithymia. I would agree with that. <laughs> it feels like that in my office. Yeah, I know I, I would speculate that for as many men as experience some some internal like inability for it, there's a lot of other men who may be more aware of their feelings but are experiencing external pressures from mm-hmm. societal narratives, societal expectations about not sh- not showing feelings for sure and you know, yeah, i don't want to get off, too that. off track but i mean i've not heard anyone actually define that so i can't help but ask is alexithymia a lack of like learned association what is it and can it be can it be learned can you know is this is this a neurological mm-hmm. limitation or is this a skill 
I think it's a I think it's a skill. I think it's definitely okay. something that can be learned for most people. Obviously, there's going to be the, this is reassuring, right? <laughs> there's there's going to be the people that have deficits, um, mental deficits, Maybe and autism that want, it might sure. feel more neurological or have more neurological basis for its presence. Right, but it is a skill. Yeah. Okay. So uh, for most men that experience that, you know, they simply learning to start labeling yeah. emotional because we all experience emotions learning to be able to actually label those and, and express them in a healthy way mm -hmm. um, is something that can be learned. Yeah. I've, I would venture to say that one of the major exceptions is this other major tenet of toxic masculinity, which has to do with anger and aggression and mm -hmm. violence, where the stereotypical toxic male is not very emotionally intelligent, not very emotionally expressive, unless it's happy or angry. And oftentimes that anger is accompanied by by specifically physical aggression and other violence. And, some and when they're happy, they're probably aggressive too. <laughs> Perhaps too. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, yeah I get it. That's a, an, an interesting thing. In, in some of the research I did, I came, came across a concept called the, the male emotional funnel system developed by Don Long in 1987. So basically what that is, is men figure out how to take other emotions and turn them into anger so rather than feeling hurt or sad or you know <laughs> yeah, something like that. that right yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly I, I, so it becomes which is why you know we refer to anger as a secondary emotion because usually there's another emotion that's primary that you're feeling yeah. Yeah. but but for men the acceptable emotion to express is anger because that looks powerful that looks right. strong and that's another core element of like this toxic masculine mm -hmm. narrative where a man must be strong, must yeah. not show weakness or so vulnerability I, I feel, or incompetence. Um, less, you could say that they, someone might feel less insecure expressing anger over, say, insecurity or confusion or uh, grief. That, that, that the anger is an easier way to express emotion. Right. Because Definitely. something like, More like, acceptable. Right. Because something like grief might indicate a vulnerability or a weakness, which would then infer like lack of competence or inferiority, which then sets the man up as as more vulnerable for either attack or rejection yeah. or hyper scrutiny mm -hmm. something something and in this and in this particular societal narrative that's just not right that's not mm -hmm. acceptable right. mm -hmm. and, and i think any, any gender could theoretically fall into this dynamic but but that with men this is a stronger tendency mm -hmm. okay yes gotcha yeah and you know it's reinforced by other men by society you know where if you if you express emotions other men will you know see you as lesser or they'll even call you you know offensive names you know wuss pussy etc you know and so therefore it's it's all all reinforced sure or if not and even going beyond the name calling which is damaging to the psyche in a very severe way there's there's physical attacks as mm -hmm. well and, and bullying and again part of this toxic narrative is that your manhood is defined and bolstered by your physical prowess your mm -hmm. physical strength and you often show that through violence and aggression yeah. toward other men, toward less, air quotes, less masculine men, and most terribly toward toward women or mm. you know more feminine people. And that's part of that's a major factor leading into to rape culture and gender based violence is this toxic narrative that says men must be strong and must be pursuing and dominating mm -hmm. and demonstrate that strength yeah you know against other men and, and women as well the more men you can more people you can beat up the more manly you are right which again like like you've mentioned media that that tends to be the man portrayed in media and i mean i'm right. thinking of some of the biggest movies 
you know, to come out, you know, the, the Avengers movies or the, the Marvel movies, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a good Marvel, Marvel <laughs> flick because, you know, action and stunts and everything. Mm-hmm. But they solve their problems with violence. They all do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's right. That's how so, it goes. So there's a, there's a Hollywood culture yeah. that appeals to what the broadest Mm-hmm. you know interest that 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 being aside like i think people who are listening some of them are thinking you know like this is so true and some are listening are like i have no idea what they're talking about i don't see this and i think i think it's worth mentioning that like yeah there are subgroups like as a therapist i don't run into this very often except in my male clients which don't come to therapy as often as women so it's not like it's going to exist in my world it's not going to exist in my world uh, as often you know working at a university a higher education school but if I was like a construction worker, maybe I'd rip into it a lot more often. Maybe I'd see posturing a lot. You know, if I worked, uh, you know, as a logger, maybe I'd see that a lot. If I worked, you know, as an oil miner, just because mm-hmm. I'm talking specifically in my experience to friends who've had these jobs and they describe their lives as seeing a lot of aggressive posturing between males. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but that's the anecdotal experiences that I've received from friends who've had those jobs. It does exist in like subcultures, and but it but it almost always exclusively de- exists potentially because of a mix of Hollywood testosterone and maybe genetics that it always exists in school, like young school age kids. And so the the posturing might be and the aggressive stuff does have an influence maybe on all of us, mm-hmm. but maybe not, maybe not, maybe not in the fact that we're seeing it every mm-hmm. day at work. Like I don't see it every day at work. You don't see it every day at work, like I would assume. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, but people do, but it still has an effect on potentially the way that we view our own emotions because yeah. we get our baselines from our childhood. I would concur. And it's, it is important to note that this toxic narrative is not everywhere and it's not, it's not every man. It's not mm-hmm. every well, culture. Well, you could say it's not every man right now, but it may have been present throughout their childhood. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's true. What say. Like, so most it is men every man. will have If you're thinking, if you're thinking through time, it. it is every man. <laughs> Just not right. every man every, at every point. For sure. Because uh, I don't experience it, but I go, I think back, back through my childhood, I'm like, was there bullying? Yeah. Was there mm-hmm. aggressiveness? Yeah. Like, was there hierarchical posturing yeah right. absolutely <laughs> and, it, and a very and a very key component to note is not just is it present in your local surroundings but right. what what aspects of manhood are celebrated yeah particularly in media and mm-hmm. media's influence cannot be underestimated here because you know the 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 characters you know the the male the male mythical figures in in our culture you know you know the john wayne character is often referred to a lot of the times mm-hmm. or you know almost any character played by brad pitt are often referenced <laughs> as you know you know these toxic masculine icons that are you know the epitome of what a man should be in all of their particular glory and when those are the references that are so frequently made and those are where you know the, where the jokes are made and and things and when like the like the high school jock is the one who gets the most attention and celebration out of a school culture on a very subtle level that that communicates something really deeply to other other men who other boys who are not that and it's not that they're inferior in any way but their perception of themselves can very easily become i am less than because my type of masculinity is not being celebrated by the mainstream so there's a lot of uh little subtle hints to validate particular perspectives and then kind of push the same narrative yeah it's definitely yeah i mean it, it's reinforced all over the place media media and yeah socially uh, peers parents you know mm-hmm. everybody in, in a in a child's life basically at, at some point is starting to reinforce this narrative and it you know it shows uh, shows up around age five is where where boys start to experience you know this you know for so for the first like 
five years of their life, usually it's, it's okay to cry and, you know, experience those strong emotions. But at that point around age five, you know, that message of don't cry, you got to suppress that, that starts to come in from parents and then from from peers and everyone else. The research shows actually though that one, we, we know that you don't stop experiencing emotions at age five. Nobody does, but <laughs> probably not. But the research actually I'm, I'm, shows I'm evidence to contrary <laughs> that that men men experience emotions stronger than women across the lifespan. So as children and as adults, physiologically they experience their emotions more strongly, mm-hmm. and yet they're told that they're not allowed to express those. That can't be healthy. <laughs> it's what would not. be the evidence? Oh, no. <laughs> it's not. So what can we do about it? Or, well, yes, what can we do about yeah. it? But I'm also thinking, so what are yeah, yeah. specific problems that come out of that? And yeah, let's do that. And then we'll talk about that. Yep. Right, right, right. right. Good structure here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, as per our topic, it, it, you know, it, it leads right into addiction because as, as, little, as, as boys, as men, you have to find some other way to be able to deal with these strong emotions that you're feeling inside yourself. And and so, especially with pornography being as big as it is, as easy to access as it is, that's, that's such a, and, and so young boys, you know, nine, eight, nine, ten, you know, they, they find their first, you know, pornography on the internet or a friend shows them a magazine that their dad has in the, in the back room or whatever. And then that, like, immediately they learn that this, this helps uh, with with the emotions. Um, they don't they don't feel as much when when they're looking at that when they're masturbating, etc. Um, and so that that becomes uh, you know that's the setup for the for the addiction. Same thing with you know drugs or alcohol. As soon as somebody gets into contact with with those substances, that you know they learn that oh wow this this helps me not to feel these strong emotions I I can I can ignore them and I'm re- I'm really excited to explore the connection between emotions and the suppression of emotions and addiction as well because of what I'm coming to understand addiction is in in general which we should perhaps pause on as well thinking what what is addiction whether it is to sex and porn whether it's to alcohol cocaine marijuana yes marijuana is addictive and or food or gambling or anything else but what is the core function of an addictive process whether that's to a substance or to a behavior i, I mean I'd, I'd have to say that the core function i mean addiction is is always serving a, a purpose i think and i think the core function is coping coping with life coping with emotions solving an emotional problem yeah. without actually fixing it right uh it's a temporary solution that you mm. have to come back to um and maybe even potentially i would grab i would add to an addiction it's not just coping it's also uh, a version of coping that ultimately leads to damage or destruction because there's lots of ways that we cope that's totally appropriate right <laughs> absolutely yeah it's <laughs> but, not but, healthy coping yeah <laughs> yeah and it, it just eventually destroys you mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. an addiction it's it's coping it's unhealthy coping but i think in particular it's unhealthy coping through avoidance in right. one way or another yes. whether you're dissociating or numbing or you know exciting yourself so much you're not thinking about something there's a an aspect of your current reality that you are looking away from disconnecting yourself in some way whether that's your emotional pain your physical pain your mental pain or the whatever the reality of your environment is your addiction takes you away from that it's a great escape fabulous so we're talking about toxic masculinity in what and a core aspect of toxic masculinity is lack of emotional intelligence being cut off from one's own emotions, that alexithymia, which may be a learned trait, 
and we're or lack thereof or lack not thereof learned. yeah <laughs> not learned skill <laughs> <A> not learned <laughs> skill uh and pairing that with this uh, addiction phenomenon, which, you know, it's addiction, it's related to compulsion, obsession, preoccupation. There's a lot of factors that feed into it. And even, I mean, and the use of even some very good things like, you know, like sex is a great thing and food, it's a great thing, but they right. can be used for this avoidance mechanism and in particular working to to avoid feelings. And so why is it that, or why do you suppose there's the drive to avoid feelings so much well i mean i think one nobody really likes strong negative feelings probably you know it's it's not enjoyable to to experience those things so i think no matter what there's there's a draw to wanting to avoid them if you can pair that with the you know this this toxic masculinity piece of you know that you're not you're not allowed to show that you have these emotions and that that's a dangerous cocktail right there yeah and so you have these these beautiful, powerful emotions that, well, powerful for sure. They could be beautiful if you interpret them that way, or they could be these really fearsome, terrible, frightful things. If that's also what mm-hmm. you've been what, what you've been taught, what you've been conditioned all your life, and so, yeah, you might want to escape those any way possible. Mm-hmm. Well, we are conditioned to have a perspective on ourselves that's not true. We are conditioned to have a specific identity about ourselves that's not true, and that that there's something in our life that's constantly violating our identity. And, you know, I've been looking at definitions of PTSD and um, and there's a lot of old definitions that I don't think quite fit perfectly because, you know, 9-11 really blew that out of the water when we started studying New York demographics. (laughs) You know, uh, there's some really fascinating statistics I won't go into now, but that PTSD isn't really what we thought it would be and that that we have to kind of come down to like there's a very strong visceral you know not not no longer violating your self identity mm-hmm. i think that when we're talking about you know toxic masculinity i keep thinking about how like maybe we have we start off with a skewed you know self identity that we can't possibly you know satiate we can't we can't do that we're not designed to do that you know maybe that's part of the problem and just thinking out loud mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. uh you know if i if i really do you know try to build myself up my expect self self expectation my self identity is not being this emotional person but then actually being an emotional person or having emotions um that's a that's a no lose that's a no win scenario yeah it's yourself up to always having to be strong or always having to be I'm happy not designed to do or that. always being okay yeah yeah that's that's not a natural state of existence i've been working more and more with ptsd with trying to change the excited trying to change the uh, expectation of self to understanding that like as humans we're capable of doing some pretty horrible things you know like once we can accept that we can actually make some more ground on ptsd mm. like almost with how, just, I was thinking about this thinking out loud like thinking about how with toxic masculinity we as a culture have to get to the point where we can accept some things about ourselves that change our expectations about ourselves maybe <laughs> is that does that make sense at all or i'm just thinking out loud yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean i i definitely think we need to change some of the, some of our presuppositions about mm-hmm. what it means to be a man mm-hmm. you know it, culturally and you know i i think i think there are some cross uh, you know across cultures there's some negative beliefs about masculinity that mm-hmm. you know that it's not healthy for us to have those beliefs because it, right. won't, it won't work with what we are in reality going mm-hmm. to experience we can't change that about ourselves yeah and that's you know trying to kind of live <laughs> that impossible balance then <laughs> yeah it's not gonna go well yeah the reality is well the the human reality is that we're going to have suffering of some sort we're going to have some sort of pain we're going to have the full breadth of emotions we're not self-sufficient unto ourselves we are not able to be completely independent we need people dependence is a natural state for us and 
to try to ignore that or to completely uh, disregard that can lead to some uh, odd places. For men in particular, you know, it's a more natural state for, for a man to, to sometimes experience strength and sometimes experience weakness mm-hmm. and to have the capacity for all of these emotions and to also have vulnerabilities. And that's that's normal, that's natural. You know, and you're going to have men who have really, really pronounced skills and strengths that are more conventionally masculine and you're going to have men mm-hmm. who have some skills traits interests that are more similar to those that other women have and yeah. that's okay too and there's nothing inherently toxic in being the stereotype no but again not a lot of people actually mm-hmm. fit that and right it, that that can be toxic if they don't mm-hmm. fit that the mm-hmm. expectations are what's toxic is mm-hmm. that right yeah, uh, yeah. It's the expectations, the the pressure that's put on men that this is the this is the shape that masculinity takes, right. and if you don't fit that, then there's punishment. Then there's punishment, or okay. you're you're not, or shame. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's mm-hmm. shame. There's you know you're not as manly. You're not you're not good enough. Yeah, take away the punishment, take away the shame, and yeah, I mean it's all fine. I mean you could have like the the conventional stereotype, and yeah, that's fine. Yeah it's great you know some people are really happy some people thrive there and, and I, I don't personally feel a lot of pressure you know on a weekly monthly even yearly basis to be more masculine than i am or to have this kind of you know hyper masculinity but again like i think it's it's worth mentioning even to those who are listening here like, i don't experience that it's like well but you probably did at some point when you were a kid mm-hmm. and there are cultures subcultures where you do experience it and it is it is more prevalent you know, as I said, I don't experience that yeah. on any routine basis that I can think of. Yeah. But I do remember it from my childhood. Boy, mm. do I. <laughs> I remember it from my childhood. And I, and I want to say that I've done a lot of work in actively rejecting, like, the toxic mm-hmm. masculine mm-hmm. narrative expectation. But but it's an active process for me still. Like, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, it comes up a lot of the time, and I have to very actively work to dismiss it. And yeah. thank the Lord, I, I can, but yeah. it takes effort. Right. And I don't always do it to the same effectiveness. Yeah. I was telling Reese earlier that I tend to just be a fairly stoic person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that happens to fit in with the masculine narrative. And, you know, I don't doubt that that is part of my upbringing as well. That for me is fairly comfortable to be stoic, not not very reactive emotionally. And that, that has a lot of benefits for me as well. I've had to learn how to properly deal with my emotions mm-hmm. in, in healthy ways. The problem is that not everybody is going to tend to be or, or be comfortable with being stoic. You know, they're, they're, you know, I've had plenty of guys in my counseling office that are more emotional and they struggle with how do I deal with that? You know, mm-hmm. how, like, I feel like I'm not manly. I'm, I'm not masculine enough because... I feel these I feel these feelings and I like I, I don't know what to do with them. So what can we do about this? It's a, <laughs> it's a big question. I think a lot of people fear in, in this conversation that I mean what we're saying is that then well we just need to become more like women. And that's absolutely eh, no, not yeah. that is that is absolutely not what definitely heard that theory i'm not for it <laughs> right yeah i'm I, I i don't think so i do think that we do we need to make changes to what it means to be a, a man to our our presupposition and my preference <laughs> yeah. you know and obviously that's not easy uh, you know that's that's not, not going to happen in in a year or two you I, know i could it, offer i could offer a hypothesis <laughs> I, I love parks and recreation i love the office I love oh oh yeah <laughs> there's a moment where the lead like like guy who's in charge of the parks and recs ron swanson mm-hmm. he was given a woman of the year award he's a man <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And the person below him is a female. Leslie Nope is upset. She won the award. So she's criticizing. She's frustrated. She's like, why did you get the award? You know? And at one point he's saying something she doesn't like. And she says, that's not the attitude of an award winner, Ron, to which he replies, everything I do is the attitude of an award winner because I have won an award. (laughs) 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 And I I think about that when I think about like, you know, gender expectations Mm -hmm. or any expectations, like (laughs) I, anything I do is me anything i do is male because i am a male <laughs> you know like yeah. meaning that i i think what i'm trying to get is that i i think that for me acceptance of who i am and genuinely figuring out how to like me is all i really needed to do and maybe mm-hmm. other people have more complex process but mm-hmm. that was that was what it took for me yeah i won't go into great detail yeah but i had to like myself and then i think my opinion of me was the greatest was the most difficult opinion to win over mm-hmm. you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah and i like that being able to to become friends with yourself and yeah. accept yourself for who you are mm-hmm. i think that's who, really great very people people rarely treat themselves like they do an actual friend yeah i, I do sure. i actually really do i like i have the voice in my head it talks to me like a kind friend it didn't used to. That sounds nice. I think I might like <laughs> yeah, your inner you voice. Should <laughs> yes. You should adopt um, it. You should adopt it. It's th- quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> Another yeah. uh, paradigm shift could be to recognize so things like feelings, things like careers, things like interests, hobbies, and activities. They they get polarized into boy things, girl things, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's kind of a false polarization, and it's not right. always really healthy. A more healthy approach could <laughs> Sometimes be. Sometimes I'm not sure it's avoidable. Yeah, but it is there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, childbirth is the exclusive domain of women. Yeah, there, there are a few mm-hmm. things that we can't. We, we rise really. up and call them blessed. I, I think recognizing that there's a masculine way and a feminine way to do just about everything. And, you know, having those masculine and feminine differences are, are great and beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, on one level we need them, but, but, but then... There isn't, there isn't a rule. There's only a stereotype. Yeah. And and I, I, I think of Ratatouille when I think of some of these things. Have you okay. guys watched the movie Ratatouille? It's been a while ago. So the very end of the movie, you know, there's this there's this kind of drama about like, a, a, you know, anyone can cook. And it's just like this absurd notion that this cook keeps saying, who's passed away, he keeps saying, they keep quoting him saying, anyone can cook. And people think it's absurd. But the very end, of course, there's a rat who's cooking. Mm-hmm. And they explain the phrase at the very end of the movie. It's worth watching. It's got good clinical relevance. But it's, it's not that he meant that, quote, anyone can cook, which is what he said. He didn't actually mean anyone can cook. He meant that a cook can come from anywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that this is true. Like, we don't actually have these hard and fast rules. It's not. It's not such a clean filter that, that no one gets through. And that when people get through, like Ratatouille, it can be beautiful. Mm-hmm, it can sure. be really interesting. It can be it can be good. It can be a positive thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So recognizing that a lot of our, our gender-based filters are, are culturally based mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not necessarily biological or divine or well, anything. I think personally, I, I would say there's more biological factors than our culture. There are biological accept. factors. Testosterone is a real thing. That's a real it thing. It has real neurodevelopmental effects it on your does. brain six weeks in utero. But culture celebrates to... <laughs> particular aspects of what that testosterone produces. No, no, absolutely. And so like you can't filter out and say this is only cultural and this is only genetic or this is only biological. You can't tell the difference. You can't filter what is which. You can't make it all go away. You can't. There's too many biological driving factors. We can say some of it's toxic and we can say some of it is not supposed to be here. I can't tell you what can be and what can't be. I can't tell you. I have no idea. But I can say is that everyone should deserve to like themselves for who they are. Mm -hmm. I can say that with 100% certainty that however you are, whoever you are, however you are built, you should learn to like yourself. That's the right answer. And it doesn't matter if, you know, you're a rat that can cook, okay? <laughs> you should like yourself, <laughs> okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's can, the, the, the giveaway. Like, we can go with culture that. Culture be damned, okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so thinking what sort of solutions can we think of, broadly speaking, specifically related to addictions and recovery? Mm-hmm. I think something that should be implemented in, in recovery work is is dealing with emotional regulation, how, how to identify and express emotions in healthy ways, how to cope in healthy ways. What are some health... There's a million healthy ways to cope in life. So helping helping a client figure out you know, what are my healthy ways of coping? You know, what, what kind of exercise do I enjoy doing? What kind of uh, expressive things do I enjoy doing? Whether it's music or pottery or, you know, visual arts or whatever. And um, it, what are the things that really help me to work out my emotions as well as, you know, learning to connect with other people emotionally and express emotions with safe people? I think those are things that need to be part of somebody's recovery in order to Mm -hmm. really be able to recover from from addiction. Because otherwise, the tendency is always just going to be to go back to the way of coping that's been the most effective for you. And there's no denying that. Or double up on a different coping skill that's half as damaging. Yeah. Because most (laughs) addictive things are extremely effective in the moment. I don't do meth, but now I chain smoke. I don't chain smoke, but now I overeat. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? mean, Yeah, the the mechanism is still there. You're you're still addicting. Hmm. Yeah, Um, yeah. And maybe maybe it's less damaging, but it's not not the end goal, is it? I mean, it's great. Like, we'll say it's victory there, but Mm -hmm. maybe we won't. Kind of a a harm reduction thing, but it's still avoiding these pesky feelings, which sounds like if we were to embrace our feelings, especially as men, increase our emotional intelligence, A, we could better like ourselves, better, better tolerate our own experience, and have this this intimacy thing mm-hmm. where I think Ben, you were saying uh, that intimacy or lack of or what was it Le- isolation is isolation is a leading cause of cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, social isolation, which can result from not being able to to identify, express emotions, because in order to have deep relationships, you need to be able to be connected emotionally. And uh, upwards of thirty years of ep- epidemiological research has shown that uh, social isolation. Uh, increases your chances of cardiovascular disease by 2.8 times, um, which is more than inactivity, more than hypertension, more than cholesterol, and more than smoking. Those are the other big things. Which you should not smoke. insane. That is absolutely insane. (laughs) Right. Because smoking causes a lot of cardiovascular damage. Right. And you're saying isolation is more damaging? Yeah. So smoking (laughs) makes it 2.5 times more likely. And social isolation is 2.8. Specialist in the army before I became a therapist. And like you understand like what nicotine does to those arteries and why it causes that increased damage. It's mechanical and it's visceral. And you're telling me that isolation is worse that is brutal mm-hmm. <laughs> that is well, so brutal well the the <laughs> the the budding trinitarian theologian in me is not at all surprised because you know my, yeah. my, my theology is like all about unity and, and togetherness and communion and so it's like the body says i don't even want to heal like right <laughs> i'm gonna be yeah. alone, basically yeah you get somebody <laughs> I don't even care, really. disunified disintegrated and, and cut off from other people and then yeah wow. of course they're gonna flounder that mm-hmm. well to me, that makes a lot of sense, and okay. that's really yeah. devastating. That's an interesting takeaway. Yeah. Another actually really interesting piece of research from the 13th century along those lines, Pope Frederick II did an experiment. He wanted to determine the language of God, mm-hmm. and so what he did is he took 20 orphaned infants oh. and only met the physical needs of, so, you know, no cuddling, no playing, no nurturance of any kind, so, you know, they just fed them, and what happened is they were all dead within weeks. 
Right. So they had all their physical needs met, but because they didn't have any sort of emotional, you know, nurturance or anything like that, they died. Right. This um, comes from the philosophy of like a, a terrible philosophy that had no bearing on, on what they were actually doing because they didn't know what they were doing. But like the tabula rasa, mm-hmm. the Latin for blank slate, mm-hmm. that, that they are pure. And therefore, if I don't physically corrupt them, then then I can learn the language of God. Right. I did read that study a long time ago. Thank you for that's brilliant. It's terrifying, but brilliant. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> not a good idea. Yeah. So we still don't know the language of God, but. We do know that if you don't, if you don't, (laughs) if you don't cuddle your kids, they'll probably die. Yeah. Or become sociopaths. Yeah. Please love your kids. Which is not a clinically proper term either way, but. Okay. So feelings. Yeah. They matter. And it sounds like if we're interested in really taking a stab at addiction, then we should really be talking about emotions, especially Mm -hmm. for men. And if we're Mm going to talk about emotions, we really need to be talking about these societal narratives and cultural expectations around men and emotions, men and perceived weakness, men and perceived vulnerability, men and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And and granted, um, I'm also thinking of some of the men that I've worked with who, you know, I start talking with them about vulnerability and trust, and they're referring to life experiences being incarcerated or being on the streets where it's true in those, in those settings, you don't want to be vulnerable, you don't want to be intimate, and you have to develop a whole lot of walls and barriers emotional firewalls just to stay alive and that's legitimate and in those settings that is a survival skill but as soon as you get out of that setting which hopefully they get out of there those same survival skills are extremely maladaptive Mm -hmm. um when it's when it is safe to have an emotional intimate connection with someone and you don't then yeah you're you're isolating and you're cutting yourself off and and the more you're not able to tolerate your own emotions the more prone you are to coping in some unhealthy way Mm -hmm. right and I think along with that, I mean, you, you have to be able to have conversations about, you know, emotional boundaries and, and safe people, especially because as men express their emotions more, they're going to get feedback from culture, from peers that, you know, that still ascribe to that sort of toxic masculinity, that that's not okay. Um, and so, you know, the guys also have to learn, you know, where where it's safe to express emotions and, and how to have good boundaries around that as well i i cannot but think of like the role of modeling and kind of trying to undo this culturally Mm -hmm. you know and i think about like statistically if most people most men are negatively affected by toxic toxic masculinity which i believe is true that that we'd have like a majority response majority positive response to seeing somebody who breaks the mold in a confident way and i do think that exists i really do think that's a real thing and i think i think there is modeling for people who break the role break the mold uh, I think of and show in my clinical practice uh, the TED Talk by J.P. Morgan, J.P. Sears, J.P. Sears. Do you know who J.P. Sears is? Mm-mm. Remind me. He does these like Facebook, YouTube videos where he's got really long straight hair and he does these like millennial like talks and mantras and he's super awkward. He's always wearing a like, bright pink, pink <laughs> oh, shirt. Sounds yeah. like a kindred spirit to me. He <laughs> is hilarious. You know, J.P. Sears, Sears, look him up. He does a TED Talk on maybe like, I don't know what it's called, but the awkward self is probably your best self. Hmm. Oh, I love this. Yeah, I know. You should okay. go watch it. You okay. really should. But I make my clients watch it a lot. Your awkward self is probably your most genuine and best self. And he's extremely awkward, but he does so in a very confident way. Mm. And everybody finds it extraordinarily gravitating like sure. that we do. when we, We're gravitated towards people who break the norm but are confident. 
Mm-hmm. And that's because the majority of our culture does find that refreshing because we want freedom from that. I wonder okay. if it's not only that he's breaking the norm confidently, but that confidently. he's authentically being himself mm-hmm. confidently. Yes, very, yeah. very I think much so. People are drawn to that vulnerability. The, yeah, the freedom. Yeah. And that, he, he that doesn't gives. look weak when he's talking or acting or doing whatever he's doing. Or he's, He doesn't look weak. In fact, he's intentionally awkward. Mm-hmm. Like he, he lets literally lots of awkward sounds just so everybody in the audience can be uncomfortable. And he's the one who should be feeling awkward, but he doesn't. You know, it's it's refreshing. You love it. Everybody loves it, except for a few people who maybe really, really push the toxic masculinity and not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they push the, the narrative. But there's gonna, but they're actually the minority, and that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think of modeling as a as a potential potential means that those those role models are really. Oh, really I, important. I imagine it's huge. And so in another episode, because mm-hmm. we're almost out of time, we'll oh, have yeah. to talk about parenting. Because parents, they hold a lot of power, which we know this, we know this, we know this, but but we could emphasize it again, the Mm -hmm. way that parents should model this. The best gift you can give your child is a healthy you. (laughs) There's that. And hugs. Yeah, hugs. (laughs) And freedom to feel feelings. Yeah. If I had to choose between healthy hugs and healthy parents, I'd probably choose hugs, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Then any last quick thoughts on all of this just uh you know if if anybody's struggling with this you know it's something i I love to talk with with people about so come find me where can people find you through our our website uh, a new day counseling.org or my website ben polling counseling you can contact uh, uh, contact me through either of those places awesome thanks guys well be sure and look up ben polling for all of your toxic masculinity recovery needs and please do be sure rate and review our podcast uh, as of this recording. Nobody's done that, and I think yeah, we, have we have some really great listeners. Of people that view it. I know nobody so reviews it. All of you, all of you, <laughs> wonderful listeners, sh- show the love a little bit, just just a little bit. Anyway, but, or a lot, or a lot. Yes, uh, five stars. It's great. Thank you for listening, and do uh, check back with us next time for more smart counsel. Please be sure to rate and review Smart Council on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love your feedback, so let's keep the conversation going. Follow Smart Council on Facebook at at Smart Council Podcast, on Twitter at at Smart Council 601, and you can email your questions to smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. Josh can be found on the web by searching Neurofeedback Care. Reese can be found at newpatterncounseling.com. Our theme music is by Nate Botsford. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. This episode was mastered by Julie Patterson. Smart Council has been produced by Reese Pasimio and Joshua Moore. <laughs>